All right, when you find your seat, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the beginning. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1. The book of origins, the book of beginnings. We live in an age of unprecedented access to information. In an instant, we can turn on television news, social media, Google. We can find out just about anything we want in a matter of seconds. And so information abounds. But would you conclude that society is better off as a result of having access to more information? Probably not. Perhaps we see more division and strife today than we have in years and decades past. So more information does not equate to more unity or harmony or even more truth. Opinions abound and sin abounds. It seems that almost any source of information has an angle or an agenda. It's becoming more and more difficult to trust sources. Time and time again, we hear that the science has changed and people's opinions and beliefs have changed. Progress is accelerating at an alarming rate. And I would suggest that such progress is not taking us down a favorable path. It is more of a regression than anything. Would you not agree that the world today as a whole is not becoming more godly, but more wicked as the years go by. Now, I'm not trying to be a doomsayer here. I'm simply wanting us to think more realistically, more biblically, at what is occurring before our eyes. And more importantly, how can we prepare ourselves in order that we might enact a change of course in ourselves and others? How can we make a difference in the world? This is why I got excited when I heard that Pastor Gibson wanted to explore the opening chapters of our Bibles. He appropriately assigned it as a series in Foundations. And I've been thinking for some time that this this portion of Scripture is probably more relevant and necessary now than ever. Because seriously, the world has gone mad. And we know why. Many people in this world are not living according to their divinely ordained purpose. And I would add that the enemy is taking full advantage of these cultural shifts because there's certainly a lot to draw from currently. And they all smack in the face of God directly. So let's take a breath for a moment and consider how and why writings from an ancient text can bring clarity to the world of 2023. And I think Gibson did an excellent job of kind of laying the groundwork of an introduction to the, to the book of Genesis here. If you recall, Gibson used this, this campfire story to illustrate a time when he began to consider the meaning of life. It's not uncommon for many people to ponder such things as they gaze upon the stars around the campfire or look out from the mountains and just see the vastness and the beauty of everything that is around But consider this thought for a moment and consider our times that we find ourselves. How contrary to our culture now is it to slow down and to think deeply? Right, Our world today no longer experiences times of deep contemplation or meditation. We are constantly bombarded with information and distraction that prevents us from this valuable pursuit of seeking deeper things. And we're persistently distracted from this. Now, much of this is intentional from the enemy. He, he wants us to not consider God. He loves that we're distracted and we don't think about the things of God. 
And Christians aren't immune from this either. We've, we've also been conditioned by culture. And if you stop, you know, kind of for a moment in traffic, you might glance at your phone. Or when you pause that family movie night, when somebody has to go to the bathroom, everybody's looking, for, looking at their phones and they're distracting themselves. Now, this may be a silly example, but I was thinking, what would happen if I stopped in the middle of the, of the sermon for, for like a couple of minutes? Now, besides wondering what the heck is wrong with me, but your, your thoughts would quickly wander. You might be thinking about lunch plans or afternoon plans or what does work look like this week? We don't naturally, we're not inclined to stop and ponder maybe a passage of Scripture to think and to pray for other people. I guess what I'm getting at is that I believe we have lost the art of deep contemplation on things that truly matter. And this works itself out in the unbeliever that does not consider the deeper things in life. Also to the Christian who does not anchor him or herself in the deep truths of Scripture. I want us to think about that because we're going to revisit this in a bit. But if the enemy can distract unbelievers from contemplating why they exist, he wins that battle. People that we interact with every day are consumed with work and party and play, and they may not even have considered that they are created for a purpose. And there are eternal ramifications for this. I know this probably sounds like Genesis Introduction Part 2, but... As we enter this preaching series, there are a number of ways that we can approach it. I'm not going to come at it and argue creation versus evolution. Personally, I'm coming at it with some of the same lenses that Gibson mentioned last week. It's, this is true. It's authoritative. I mean, as it pertains to an evolutionary framework, my thinking is this. Have you ever wondered why accidental human beings that are accidentally living in an accidental planet within an accidental universe would even consider purpose? Like, why are, why are we so affected deeply this way if this is all an accident? Why do we contemplate deep thoughts? Why do we have any morals at all? Why do we ever act in the interest of others if it's, it's either survival of the fittest or it's not? And I believe the Bible has the answers, and in my mind... These questions alone dismiss any coincidence or happenstance. I believe in the authority of God's Word, that it is without error, and it is to be embraced with faith by God's people. But I'll also reveal my hand, as I come here this morning, what I believe on the account of creation. For what it's worth, I'm not persuaded that the the earth is billions of years old. I believe that consistent with the account of creation that God created a mature earth, His pattern is not to plant seeds and begin with baby creatures and baby humans. He creates them in maturity. Trees, animals, adults, created with age. And I believe that the days of creation are literal days. God did not require days to create everything. He could have merely thought and everything would have appeared. It wasn't if he said, let there be light. (laughs) And there was light. But I believe that God is very intentional in creating order, establishing patterns through literal solar days for the existence of human beings. Now you're likely familiar with Genesis chapter 1, so I'm going to read through the verse 13 verses that we're going to cover today, so follow along as I read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he had called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you spent any time growing up in church, much of this you've been taught. As a child, you may have gotten like neat coloring pages that show you, you know, what God created on and what days. And perhaps you also know that in the six days of God creating, God used the first three days to form the earth and then the second three to fill the earth. We're going to cover the the first portion this morning. And I've entitled this sermon, The Gospel of Creation. It's likely you 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 probably haven't heard that in your Sunday school classes growing up, but as Jesus himself declared, all the scriptures speak of him. And he was speaking of the Old Testament. And once that truth finds a home within your heart and mind, you will hopefully see Jesus like never before. Now, I'm going to be honest and tell you that it was a bit of a struggle to put this sermon together, not because there was a lack of things to talk about, (laughs) but the more that you sit on Scripture, the more God reveals to you, and all the, for lack of a better word, tentacles, all the connections throughout the Bible that root itself in this opening chapter, it's amazing. And so I had to try to kind of make decisions on what to talk about and what to leave out. So but hopefully this sparks within you an interest to really dig in yourself. So the first of two points I would like for us to consider today is creation reveals God. Creation reveals God. I mean, how important is this? Think about it. In, In a world of chaos and confusion and competing opinions about, well, everything, how crucial is it that we have an authority on the subject of our origins? The God who reveals it to us. What what is it? It's the when, it's the who, it's the what, where, how, why. All those things are found in these pages. In a world of such uncertainty, this is vital. And so the opening, which in one Hebrew word, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse alone sets the trajectory for everything, all meaning in life. The world is not an accident. It was created. 
And we conclude that it wasn't haphazard, it was for a reason. Now, God didn't have to reveal anything. But our God is a giving God. He's a giver. And He wants to reveal Himself to us, and He did. And we learn at least three very important things here. First, God pre-existed the universe. And Gibson did really well bring a lot of that Scripture to bear. God is eternal. He is the one that acted to bring everything about everything. This truth is confirmed in many passages, but consider 1 Corinthians 8 where Paul says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as there are indeed many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The beginning point for everything is God. The goal of everything is God. Now, we don't often live as if, as if this were true. For some strange reason, we live as if we are the center of our universe. Isn't that incredible? I mean, how much we are consumed with ourselves without giving God a second thought. We often live for our glory, our earthly pursuits, our financial decisions, our calendars, all indicate that we are the center of our universe. Second, the universe has a beginning. Creation itself is not eternal, but God is. Third, God personally created everything in the universe. Nothing arose by merely impersonal forces as the atheistic evolutionists teach. It's not an accident. It is uniquely and intentionally fashioned by a creator. Biblical scholar A.W. Pink, he adds that the opening sentence of the Bible repudiates atheism for it postulates the existence of God. It refutes materialism for it distinguishes between God and his material creation. It abolishes pantheism for it predicates that which necessitates a personal God. When it's recorded that God created the heavens and the earth, it adopts this kind of Hebrew understanding of totality. And so as we see, everything may not yet be fully created, but God has created the universe, and what is left is his shaping of it. In the beginning, before you, before your parents, before the apostle Paul, Joseph, Mary, before King David, Moses, Abraham, Adam, and Eve, there was time and space, and there was God. And this God created a universe so huge that it could only point to a powerful creator. And billions of galaxies would cry out worthy to this God. He is unrivaled in his power and his majesty. God is not an impersonal force. He is a personal God who loved you enough to bring you into existence. And he created you to long for his glory and for his purposes. God made the universe to display his glory. And it invokes a response of worship. Romans 4, or I'm sorry, Revelation 4. The Apostle John says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Psalm 19, you know it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And because of this, humanity is left without excuse to give him glory. Creation is evident to all. Because there are those who have a notion of origins and purposes and actively suppress what they know to be true. I mean, look around. I'm, I'm always amazed when I look at the moon. I think I've said this before. But I look at the moon and I consider that it exists in perfect harmony within the solar system. Because if the moon were a bit closer, we would be enveloped in a worldwide tidal wave. If the sun were closer or further away, we would be toaster and icicle. Everything is in its perfect groove. And Romans 1 elaborates on this thought. Paul writes that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So that's verse 1. <laughs> Perhaps we should order in lunch. <laughs> I'm kidding. Let's move on. Creation reveals God as Trinity. Verse 2 indicates that at this point, the earth was without form and void. There was nothing but darkness and water. In other words, it's an unproductive, it's uninhabitable, it's void, it's dark, it's chaotic. Notice the second sentence of the verse. The Spirit of God was there hovering over the face of the waters. Now put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. In verse 3, God speaks the Word. If you know your Bible, you might be kind of dialing into something very significant at this point because in similar fashion, John opens up his Gospel with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Who's the Word? Jesus. When was He? With whom? You kind of see what's going on here, right? And we'll see in just a moment that God begins to speak creation into existence. The Word is Jesus. In some mysterious way, God spoke the universe into existence out of nothing, and Christ was the Word by which God did this powerful creative speaking. Paul writes in Colossians 1, For by Him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things Hold together. Jesus, too, is eternal creator and sustainer of the universe. So in the opening verses of the Bible, we see that the Trinity is all present and eternal and active in creating the universe. 
All right, let's press on. Verse 3 begins with, and God said. Throughout Scripture, the Word of God is both creative and effective. So what God says comes to pass. It's the authoritative Word. And here is His first command. Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. There is no other option. (laughs) When the Creator speaks, everything must obey. Unless you get hung up on the idea that light is created before the sun, moon, and stars, let me remind you that light is a form of energy and may be produced in, in many different ways, not just by the sun and the stars. In fact, we learn throughout the Scriptures that God Himself describes Himself as light. Hebrew scholar Bruce Waltke notes that since the sun is only later introduced as the immediate cause of life, the chronology of the text emphasizes that God is the ultimate source of light. The dischronologization, you try to say that, (laughs) probably functions as a polemic against pagan religions which worship the creation or creators and not the creator upon whom the creation depends. So in other words, God deliberately ordered it this way so as to distance him from other pagan religions who worship the sun, moon, and the stars. God is preeminent over them all. He is the ultimate source of life. And as you know, this is going to be emphasized in the new creation, in Revelation, that there will no longer be a need for the sun, moon, and stars because he himself is its light. Verse 5 begins a pattern whereby God calls the light day and the darkness night. This is a very clear indicator of God's sovereignty. The act of naming is an important feature in the creation account, indicating the existence of the element named and also God's authority over what he has created. And we're going to see this later when he gives that divine prerogative over to Adam as he begins to name the other creatures and his companion Eve. The next act of God was to separate light from darkness. So as we know, this becomes a familiar period of of time consisting of day and night. And in fact, this becomes the very first day in creation. Day one complete. Again, this act of creation did not require God a whole day to accomplish. He is merely setting a pattern for us. Next, God said by authoritative decree, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and separate the waters from the waters. The expanse refers to the atmosphere that distinguishes the waters of the earth from the atmospheric clouds, the waters above. And because we've only really known one side of this, it's hard for us to imagine what it would have been like before it was separated like this. But all the waters had been joined together before he made this separation. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky. And when you read the breadth of Scripture, you notice that there are are three heavens, one of which is our atmosphere, which we're talking about here. God has the authority over the heavens. Day two, complete. Next in verse 9, God says, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear. God speaks, creation obeys. Dry land. So God causes the waters to gather, and and the dry land emerges out from the water, and this becomes the canvas on which to paint 
his marvelous works. And this is precisely what God says to do next. Verse 11 and 12, God says, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. God is a God of order. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Andrew Davis wrote a small book on creation where he adds this. He says that God spoke forth mighty redwoods, frail ferns, fragrant orchids, and spectacular wildflowers. God wove every living and growing thing with which he beautified the dry land into a complex biological system of plant life that would take nutrients from the soil, carbon dioxide from the air, and energy from the sun to live and grow and provide food for the animals and humans that would come later. You can almost smell it as he describes it. Don't ever cease to be amazed at how intricately and gloriously God has created this planet. How many colors and shapes and sizes of the plant life are to be found. How wonderfully and bountifully God has blessed us. How many different kinds of fruits and vegetables did he create for our enjoyment? I once heard a speaker remind us that when God created us, he created us to be dependent on fuel to function and sleep for rest. And all of this was to show our dependence on God and his grace. We need to realize that when God made us, he didn't make us as cars. Right? We don't have a socket on the side of us where we, we fuel up. He made it an enjoyable experience for it, for us. So even as we're eating, we can give God glory for the things that he has made and how he has blessed us. And don't you find it fascinating that God has created vegetation that reproduces itself? This is amazing. The apple tree consists of apples with seeds in them so that they'll produce more. And each according to their kind. God is a God of order. A pear tree will produce pears and apple trees will produce apples. Now notice here and throughout the first three days that God made a declaration and God saw that it was good. Almost, I envision it kind of like this, um, a great artist that kind of takes a step back, maybe with his paintbrush in hand and just as admires that which he has created. All that God creates is good. And we're going to, begin to, we're going to continue to see that in the weeks to come. But we're going to stop the creation week at verse 13, but I want us to briefly consider a second point. And that's that creation reveals the gospel. I realize you're thinking, gospel? We haven't gotten to the cross. We haven't gotten to the birth of Jesus yet. I thought the gospel was the good news that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. You bet. But Jesus himself informs us that the message of him is throughout all the Old Testament, including Genesis. In Luke 24, Jesus was walking with his two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and, and Luke records this. He says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. About Jesus, Moses, the prophets, the Old, Old Testament. That's a remarkable statement. 
Jesus tells us that even from the opening of Scripture, Moses' writings, and throughout the Old Testament, that Christ is proclaimed. And the more that I study, the more that I see how prominent it really is. Right? And so that to this point in our study, we've considered much of the who and the what of creation. But an additional approach I would encourage you to consider is how God communicates in His Word. The way that this account is written is very intriguing. Moses could have simply said in verse 1, God created everything. Day 1, He created light. Day 2, He separated the waters. And day 3, He created trees and plants. I mean, why did God create in six days? I mean, He certainly used it as a pattern for His people. You'll recall when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the command to keep the Sabbath was based upon creation. The Israelites were told to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. God uses that pattern elsewhere in Scripture. But I begin to find you know, verses like 11 to 13 interesting. This is the account of the third day. To this point, the, the earth contained no life. It consisted of God's activity with light and darkness and water and sky. But on the third day, we witness the emergence of life. The activity and power of God working through His creation on the third day. Do you know anywhere else in Scripture where life emerges on the third day? Did Jesus Himself not rise from the dead, bring life out of death on the third day? You begin to see sort of these patterns of third day resurrections and life giving throughout Scripture. But consider also the opening verses. Recall that God orchestrated how His revelation would unfold, and in His sovereignty, He chose very deliberately the words and the style of this creation account. For instance, in verse 2, we noticed that the, the world was uninhabited and unformed. And interesting is the inclusion of the word darkness here that was over the face of the deep. And who was present over the, over the waters? Spirit of God. One Bible teacher suggests that the language of the, the hovering here is like a bird that kind of flies back and forth over the, the depths of the water. And don't we see that elsewhere? Don't we see the dove present hovering over the waters of Noah and his family? Do we not see Jesus in the waters of baptism when the Spirit of God hovers and descends? And as Scripture unfolds, don't we see how the biblical writers begin to use the word darkness to distinguish it from light? We begin to read that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Christians are transferred from darkness to light. And so darkness takes on these connotations and light takes on connotations of life and salvation and the presence of God. So when we see that there's darkness over the deep, what's the next thing that we witness? The Holy Spirit moves in preparation of creation and the Word is spoken. And the result is what? Light. I mean, that should resonate with us. I mean, this is the Gospel. We're all born in darkness. And we know that the Gospel is the power of God into salvation. And when the Spirit works in preparation of our hearts, the Word is spoken and the Holy Spirit brings forth life brings forth light out of darkness. And I think the Apostle Paul saw it. 
Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me just for a moment. Second Corinthians chapter four. Paul here is defending his ministry to the church in Corinth in the first uh, few verses of chapter four, and in verse three, follow along with me. Paul says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of the Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves for your servant's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, Gibson drew our attention to the theme of this creation from beginning to the end of our Bibles, and the Apostle Paul sees it, and he draws, continual, he draws us continually to this creation and salvation in the gospel. It is a gospel of creation. Because if you were to flip your... Bibles over one more page to chapter 5, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen, this is important. This is how light and life are produced in people. From the very opening verses of the Bible, it is by the moving of the Spirit of God and the declaration of God's Word that brings forth light and life. And God is the author of life, and He is a giver. And if we continue to see this, we see greater significance when God begins to separate creation, when in verse 4, God separated the light from the darkness. And so we begin to understand what it's like to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Next week, Lord willing, we will conclude the days of creation. But let us consider the wonder of our universe and the blessing of being a part of it. In God's sovereign plan, He chose to create you. There is no randomness, but design and purpose for creation and for you. Don't believe the lie that this is all an accident. Don't suppress the truth of what you see all around you. Because all of creation is centered on being alive in Christ. Bible teacher Chad Bird, he says that when our ears and eyes are in tune with the Scriptures, then all of creation opens up this immense pulpit from which Christ, Christ preaches to us about Himself. Think about that. Now I suggest that everything that was created was intentional to help us understand Jesus and the Gospel. He created light so we could understand Jesus as the light of the world as a lamb, so we would understand what it means to be led to the slaughter. A vine, so we know He is the vine and we are the branches. A lion, so we know that He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Every day that we open our eyes and ears and hearts, there is evidence of God's love in Christ for you. God brought forth life and light so that it might testify to Jesus, His work on the cross, his resurrection on the third day, and his love for you. Let's pray.
Father, I, I thank You and I praise You that in Your holiness and in Your sovereignty, You are compassionate enough to show us who You are. Not simply as an authoritarian, authoritarian, but as a God who loves us, a God who is creative, a God who designs with purpose, a God that wants relationship with His creation, His creatures. And so I thank You that You have communicated to us in so many different ways from the things that our, our eyes see every day. The things that we read in the pages of Scripture and the way that Your Spirit reinforces within us the things about You and Your love for us. And I just pray that if there are any here that have um, found themselves feeling purposeless or meaningless, that they might look to You and see that You love us and You desire relationship with us and You have um, just grace and mercy for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.